Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shibu Bhani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Dr. Art Hapir, who's the CEO and co-founder of VisualDX and an associate professor of dermatology and medical informatics at the University of Rochester. VisualDX provides clinicians with software tools accessible via computer, smartphone, and electronic medical records to help improve diagnostic and treatment decisions. The company boasts the world's largest, most equitable medical image collection, and tens of thousands of providers and more than 2,300 hospitals, clinics, and medical schools around the globe are users. I'm also grateful because we share investors in Coveris and have gotten to know the VisualDX team quite well, including developing certain videos with the team and, and working with many of the same institutions. So, Art, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Shib, it's my pleasure. So, can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and what what made you decide to go into medicine and dermatology? Yeah, so I actually was not pre-med in college. I was a studio art major, not heading towards medicine. And a series of circumstances took me towards medicine. And I ended up working in the 1980s as a medical student with the physician that invented the idea of the problem-oriented record and the soap note format, Larry Weed. And that really got me interested in the field of medical informatics. Dr. Weed was saying as early as the 60s and 70s that it's impossible to memorize it all and that we needed to bring into medicine tools to really aid and augment decisions. And you know, I heard that message in the 80s, like really when computers had green screens and up and down arrows and no graphics and ended up in Rochester right when Kodak, which a lot of the young people listening into this podcast probably don't know what Kodak is. And they made this stuff called film. And we had these things called slides and you put them in a something called a carousel and you did a slideshow to your medical students. So right when Kodak was announcing scanning film to digital, I turned to people at Kodak and, I, and to our chair of dermatology. I said, this is going to be huge. We're going to get rid of our Kodachromes. We're going to have imagery on computers and we're going to think about Dr. Weed's ideas, and we're going to bring it all together in a product. And Dr. Lowell Goldsmith, being kind of a Renaissance physician, one of these you know rare individuals that's a powerful researcher, educator, and patient advocate, said, "Sure, let's give it a try." So that's how it all got started. That's awesome. So the, the role of different mentors or advisors, or even people who just come and give a talk in careers, is is really strong. So Dr. Weed, I'm definitely familiar with him. One of our investors is Peter Frischoff, who founded Medscape, and he's, he's extolled Dr. Weed for some years as well. So can you tell us a bit about the early founding of VisualDX and kind of the size and scale? I already mentioned you're using over 2,300 health centers and hospitals and clinics. Can you tell us like about the growth trajectory and where you see VisualDX in a couple of years from now? Yeah, so we're really different than most healthcare IT companies, and we've really been three different companies. So we started in 1999 and prototypes before that. And so we actually started working on these ideas before the internet existed, which is kind of hard to get your head around. And our vision always was merging a knowledge base with an image base to create a point of care tool. And this is a real paradigm shift because we've really been framed by the model of textbooks, which is loading information to the human brain and then expecting a human, a physician or nurse practitioner or PA 
to see a different patient every 20 minutes and do it perfectly every 20 minutes. So the vision has always been, let's put this information in a tool that will work in the exam room. We started before doctors were using Palm Pilots and computers were slow and really the company should have disappeared. Like we really should have, to be honest with you, got belly up because we were way ahead of our time. But we did work early on. The very first product was for the patient with fever and a rash. And we were saying, where is dermatology really important? We said, in the emergency room, there are skin signs of serious infectious disease. So we developed this tool for the patient with fever and a rash and delivered it to the marketplace in March of 2001. And doctors basically said, well, that's cute, but I don't even have a computer in my exam room, right? And there were no smartphones. And so what happened was 9-11 and then anthrax in the mail. And it's a long story. We can do a whole podcast on public health informatics, but we basically ended up working for the CDC, state, city, and county health departments, delivering the fever and a rash component of visual DX to emergency departments. And that has relevance today. So there, there is a benefit sometimes of being old. And we're not like a bunch of kids that said, okay, we're going to create the next unicorn. We're going to, quote, disrupt healthcare, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. We're going to really build something that's meaningful and have impact. And so it's taken 20 years to get to the point where we actually have technology that people widely use. We have technology on the phone. And most doctors, students, and residents are actually much more comfortable with this thing than they are their EHR, because they're easier to use, right? We have these wonderful apps for professionals, Android and iOS, where they can enter patient symptom signs and get a powerful differential, and it not just be a list of words, right? It's visualization. And so, you know, tying this back to my background in art, what I think about is how do we make information as does osmosis, because osmosis is thinking about this too. And that's what this partnership is so wonderful is having two organizations that believe that it's not good enough just to have everybody read voluminous words and think that the brain could put it all together. So, you know, this is really a great conversation we could have, Shiv, about visualization of information. Absolutely. And I mean, I love what you were saying about how you guys should have gone belly up, but you managed to push through and caught different waves. We had a, another guest, Burke Smith, who started Straighter Line, and he has a great quote that he shared with us. It was, if you stick around long enough, your timing is perfect. And so <laughs> Sign me up in that club. I can really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, honestly, when you were innovating and getting things into the EHRs, point of care, and now with the mobile apps, you've developed this massive library. And I'd love to give our users a sense of like how big this library is. What does it mean to have the most equitable medical image collection? Because I know other events of 2020 led to a lot of discussion around racial justice in medicine, ranging from vaccine distribution to underrepresented areas in terms of healthcare. And so we'd love to get your thoughts on that. And then how that's empowering like things like ASTA and, and AI in medicine, because that you guys are clearly leaders in that, that space too. Yeah. So working backwards from AI and machine learning, you know, of course, that's the new buzzword and everybody's doing it. And this wonderful potential, but it's only as good as your data, right? And so you have to have wonderful, precise, accurate, excellent data to train your machine learning and AI on. 
And, you know, the medical records, of course, are full of mythology. There's just a lot of data in patients' medical records that's not up to date or not accurate. So what we've been doing since the inception of the company is ingesting images that are in case formats from people we trust. So we're not a wiki model. So we've been working with experts around the world, mostly in the U.S., but we're very much a global company. We love to have people contributing from other countries. But we get these cases with pictures, mostly skin, but then it grew to eye and oral, and then it grew to radiology and EKGs. So we've just been amassing for over 20 years what we argue is the world's best aggregated visible light medical image collection. I mean, we do have radiology. Our focus is not on radiology, AI, and machine learning. We're leaving that to many other groups that are really focused on that. But we're really focused on visible light imagery. So we reach out to people that we trust and know are experts and great people. We get their imagery and we put tags on the images. And we have a team, an image department that's just focused on this for 20 years. And along came machine learning three or four years ago when the algorithms really started to be good and we started training those images on we're using these algorithms. And so we've made a lot of progress. And you know, one of the things that we argue is that it's not just the images, it's also the knowledge. And like, how do you bring a knowledge base together with an image base? During this period, we've been very, very interested in why errors occur in medicine. What are the causes of diagnostic errors? And so we have a lot of cognitive biases, right? So many of the listeners are familiar with terms like premature closure or anchoring bias and all the biases. But then there's also gender bias. You know, you assume a woman is not having an MI. You think it's only guys having an MI. So you miss that MI in a woman. And then you have racial bias. And this has been an area of interest also of mine for a long time. I wrote a paper in 2006, published in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology, entitled Disparities in Dermatologic Resources, Educational Resources. And we showed that really dermatology resources, our books and lectures, really were not showing how disease looked in people of color. So the company has been purposely reaching out to people that have skin of color collections for years. So our internal library in general is in the hundreds of thousands of images of disease and 30% of it is skin of color, which far exceeds any other resource. So when the George Floyd tragedy happened, people started reaching out to us, including a New York Times reporter who had read my 2006 paper and said, oh, there's now images of COVID toes and skin of color, this is a huge problem. And I said to her, it's not COVID toes that's a huge problem. It's all of medicine that's a huge problem. I said, our med students and residents just are not being trained in the spectrum of disease. And so we've been passionate for 20 years and many of our users didn't realize there was a filter in Visual DX where you could say, I don't wanna look at the pictures in light skin, I wanna look at them in dark skin. And we realized we had an interface problem. And so in the fall, we very rapidly brought that filter to the homepage of Visual DX and now says skin of color. And people are saying, wow, I'm so glad you added that. And we said, no, it's been in there the whole time. Those 14,000 images have been in there, but you just didn't look deep enough. And you know, there's 
what percentage of Microsoft Word or PowerPoint do people use? About 10%. And it's the same with any software. So we've been working hard to make sure that our users know, and now they know. But there are all these medical schools and users out there that are hungry to reduce bias in medicine. And we have to get the word out there. Like we're getting these emails, like we want to create a skin of color atlas. And our team here that's been working on this for more than a decade is going, well, why do you want to create a skin of color atlas? First of all, Visual DX has 14,000 images of skin of color, but you don't need just a skin of color atlas. You need an integrated system for all diagnosis that light skin and dark skin. And one of my African-American dermatology colleagues said to me, she said, why would I want just a skin of color atlas? I'm African-American, but I see plenty of white patients. I need something that handles all my patients. So we, we as, a, as an organization, Visual DX, the one thing that we need to do better is to get that message out there because so many people don't know what we do. Absolutely. And my hope is the podcast and our audience can be part of that as well, as well as all the collaborations we've done. You probably know, I don't know if you've actually spoken to or know, but as a medical student at St. George University, London, Malone, who wrote that book, Mind the Gap. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting. It got a lot of press, but there are African-American dermatologists that wrote skin of color textbooks. And there are many physicians outside of dermatology and inside of dermatology that don't know about Susan Taylor and Paul Kelly's second edition, I think it's in. Paul is deceased, but Susan, who's a professor at UPenn, has been a champion of this. She helped to found the Skin of Color Society. So there are wonderful books, there's wonderful information. And you know what kind of, I think it's difficult for people that have worked hard in this field, many of these professors that have written these Skin of Color textbooks, to see the press just think that the wheel has just been invented. I mean, people have been working in this field for 20 years, 30 years, getting or longer creating these books. Yeah, that also shows like the gap sometimes that occurs between you know, academia and things that are published and validated, and then people being willing to accept them or interested in them at least. And George Floyd's case obviously helped bring that to the forefront. So you know, Visual DX, obviously, you guys got a lot of traction, you were saying after September 11th with anthrax and looking at rashes in the emergency room, and etc. COVID is why we launched this RaiseLine podcast. Can you tell us a bit about how Visual DX has adjusted to COVID? And then you as a clinician, what are your thoughts on some of the lasting changes that will occur over the next couple of years because of the pandemic? For me, it's like deja vu all over again, because 20 years ago, we had this national emergency, nowhere as bad as COVID. I mean, but people were really scared when anthrax was being spread in the mail because it followed 9-11. And there was collective anxiety. And now we have the same level, much more actually fear in our patients, right? And one of the things that happens when the system is stressed, there's more error. So, you know, people are being harmed because we're really almost in a wartime environment in our emergency rooms and ICUs today in most states. I mean, it's, it's horrific what our colleagues that are on the front line are doing, you know, having to deal with. And, you know, they are true heroes. And there's a lot that's going to be written about this. But, you know, how do you make decisions in stressed environments? And as the pandemic, the acute phase of the pandemic comes down, I think we're going to see a flood of people that deferring normal care, right? 
there are a lot of unfortunate stories now of people that have put off their symptoms and are getting diagnosed really late and things that could have been diagnosed earlier because they've been afraid of the hospital. So as you know, this acute phase winds down because of vaccination and herd immunity, and now we're, we're back to medicine, I think diagnosis is being elevated. Obviously, digital tools and telemedicine has been elevated. There's a lot more telemedicine, teleeducation, digital education. But, you know, we, we really have to live up to the promise of what these tools can be. And we've fallen so short. I mean, there's just billions have been spent on the electronic health record. And it hasn't really improved care. And those of us working in this field have this collective responsibility to, to really deliver meaningful tools. And our take on it from a COVID point of view and a future prep point of view is, look, we're going to have big change starting on the 20th. And reason and science and data and rational thinking is going to return to this country. It has to. It has to. And when that returns, we're going to look at the budget for the Centers for Disease Control. And we're going to see that we've been giving the Centers for Disease Control to do not just COVID, but all bacterial, viral, fungal disease, motor vehicle safety, tobacco, vaping, everything they do, we've been giving them $11 billion. The revenue for Umira, arthritis and psoriasis medication, annually is $20 billion. So our society has committed half the revenue from one drug to the organization that's responsible for pandemics, epidemics, and public health. That colossal mistake will end up costing us probably $5 trillion in harm to our economy because we didn't do preventive medicine as a society to invest in the Centers for Disease Control, city, state, and county health departments. We just haven't done it. And we will wake up to that fact now. And just in a week or two, people will say, we can't starve public health. We have to invest in it. So that's going to be the number one change. And from a technology point of view, where we have a lot to add to this conversation is out of that experience working on anthrax, we realized that there are two separate silos. There's what happens in these county health departments that are starved. So these heroes that work for very little money, these commissioners of public health, the contact tracers that are now volunteering, they have been operating on fumes. So they're doing their thing in one silo. And then you have these overworked doctors who are starved, who are pressured too much in emergency rooms and in offices. And these are two separate silos. But shouldn't the busy doctor know what his county health department is alerting about? And shouldn't that busy doctor know how to easily report infectious disease to the county health department? So we started thinking about that. 20 years ago with Anthrax, and we developed in Visual DX a technology, this parallel database system to customize the knowledge that has the local health department information in it. And, you know, when we come out of this acute phase of this disaster that we're living through right now today, to this phase where we're going to say, okay, what, how are we going to prevent the next pandemic, the next epidemic, and recognize it early and 
be rational. Digital health is part of that. And, you know, we have a lot to bring to the table in that area. Absolutely. I mean, my hope is that we don't forget, right? Like there are a lot of things that we've learned over the past few years that I hope that we don't have too short term of memory and move on to the next thing. That's a great point because bioterrorism, that memory span was five years, right? And we invested in that for five years and then it tailed off. So sustainability of what you do in terms of, you know, I know osmosis is thinking about the educational paradigm. How do we shift the educational paradigm? And we're both involved in this, this shift, really a paradigm shift and moving away from, you know, just reading books or reading online to figuring out, you know, how do we get students to be engaged in residence and doctors over time to stay current and how does education dovetail into tools that you'll use, right? So you wouldn't ask your pilot to memorize the route from Chicago to LA and memorize the route to Miami. They have instruments. And then you have a cockpit simulator and you train them in the cockpit in instruments with simulators. So osmosis and visual DX, like our charge is to think about what's the cockpit, what's the simulation, what's the education, and how do we change the paradigm? Absolutely. Great analogy. I know we're coming up in time, so I had two more questions for you. The first is, you know, given that you're a physician, entrepreneur, and still in academia, what advice would you give to students considering a career in healthcare right now about meeting the challenges of COVID and beyond? So I still enjoy clinical medicine. Unfortunately, I'm only able to see patients one clinic a week. And it's from seeing patients that I understand what the problems are. It just can't be read about. You have to touch it, right? So students that are in healthcare have this incredible opportunity to get involved in transforming healthcare. What I don't recommend is that like you go to med school and then you maybe do residency or you quit residency and then you say, I'm going to start a unicorn based on the fact I went to med school. I recommend that you stay clinically engaged so that you understand medicine. And I think that understanding medicine is not just a book experience. It's a real world experience. And most learning in medicine happens in residency. It doesn't happen in med school. So do your residency and stay in it. Absolutely. And we had a guest who I'm sure you know, Dr. Sachin Jain, who ran CareMore and now runs Scan. And he, he's also a vocal advocate for people who want to innovate and improve healthcare to maintain their clinical practice as well as, as he does. My last question is, there, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience about you, Visual DX, the future of healthcare that we didn't get to? Wow. Do you have another two hours? No. So... We're at an inflection point at Visual DX where the world has changed. We're now going to be hopefully living in this post-COVID world. We're right in the middle of COVID. And we have tools that exist today that can be helpful to anybody that's excited about digital health and anybody that wants to have real-world impact around racism. So one of the things that one of my team members said is exasperating is the fact that there is a tool here that will bring equity to knowledge around skin of color. And we've been saying to healthcare systems and to the payers 
look, it's great that in a white coat, your healthcare system got down on your knee and did solidarity for George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Nobody's disapproving of that. But the real question is, what are you doing that is meaningful? What are you doing that's meaningful for your hiring? What are you doing that's meaningful for pay equity? What are you doing that's meaningful in terms of how you present cases in your medical school? And we've been saying to them, there is bias in the educational resources and we have a solution that exists today. So get beyond doing the talk and let's do the walk together. And we'd love a reach out from anyone that's listening that wants to learn about our solution that can help with reducing knowledge biases and bringing more equity to medical knowledge. So that's, stay, we're staying focused on that right now because it's so important. Again, thank you for that work. And we will, in the show notes, make sure people know how to get in touch with your team at Visually X. You have a wonderful team. Had the chance to interact with a number of them like him and, and Rory and, of course, yourself. So with that, Art, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today on Raise Line and, and more importantly, for the work that you've been doing over the past decades to make medicine more equitable and reduce diagnostic errors. Well, Shim, it's been really a pleasure, and we look forward to future innovation and collaboration with Osmosis. So thanks for having the conversation. Thank you. And with that, I'm Shiv Udwani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.